Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato for MediaMonarchy.com. Science is really behind what we've said. We've got that story, plus mandatory Cyber Mondays. But first, it's been quite a banner year, I think, for, for some 9-11 truth action. NIST publishes new fact frequently asked questions on its refusal to release key Building 7 data. This coming, of course, from architects and engineers for 9-11 truth after a decade of refusing to release key data from its analysis of the destruction of World Trade Center Building 7, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, has published a new FAQ on its website defending its ludicrous position that the release of this data might jeopardize public safety. Borrowing from earlier denials of FOIA requests and court filings made by NIST and the U.S. Department of Commerce, the FAQ reads, quote, the withheld information contains detailed connection models that have been validated against actual events and therefore provide tools that could be used to predict the collapse of a building. The information contained in the withheld files is sufficiently detailed that it might be used to develop plans to destroy other similarly constructed buildings, end quote. The upshot is that 11 years after NIST published its report on Building 7 with its lead investigator, Dr. Shyam Sunder, admonishing the public to recognize that science is really behind what we've said, the agency has not released a single document or file that substantiates the initiating failure of its elaborate, far-fetched, now-debunked scenario of the building's destruction. James, as of course everything we say always will be mentioned and listed down in the show notes, FAQs, NIST WTC7 investigation straight to NIST.gov, just one of my favorites from this big document. Question 36, you gotta scroll all the way down to the bottom, they just added this uh, on November 20th to their page. Why did NIST withhold from public release limited and specific input and results files for certain collapse models used in the WTC7 study? The answer, the information contained in the withheld files is sufficiently detailed that it might be used to develop plans to destroy other similarly constructed buildings. James, I, I would argue it's maybe a public safety to not list this information out because if buildings are just going to start falling willy-nilly out of you know, maybe some small fires, as have been, of course, extensively reported, James. Again, this has been quite a year, I think, for 9-11 Truth. We've had a lot of big document dumps. Again, maybe not the big smoking gun. That was maybe never going to happen in the first place, James. But just a real, just steady kind of chipping away, as we've been doing for what, 18 years of the official 9-11 lie, James. Think of how stupid this answer to the question really is. Let's dwell on that for a moment. Uh, the, the information contained in the withheld files is sufficiently detailed that it might be used to develop plans to destroy other similarly constructed buildings. Now, one quibble we might have with this is that WTC7 is a was a remarkably unique building. If you look at the structural details of how it was constructed, it was not like pretty much any other building in the world, let alone so many other buildings that, oh, it will become this big target for terrorists. They'll be using this information willy-nilly all over the place. But that's a minor quibble in this hodgepodge of nonsense. Because what are they really saying? Because let's re remember that the official story of how WTC7 committed suicide in the afternoon of 9-11 is because 
nearby buildings were hit by planes and then they collapsed and part of that collapse set off fires within WTC7 that eventually caused it to go. Are they really saying that this is the, the, the threat that terrorists are going to figure out how to do this again? Okay, so if we ram a plane into a nearby building and it collapses onto this other building in the right way, we can start fires and now we know how to start those fires. Just nonsense. Just total ludicrous nonsense. And people might have thought when I was doing my 9-11 conspiracy theory video that when I said jeopardize public safety, it will jeopardize public safety to release this data. No, that's literally. I know no one knows that I have show notes and click and uh, actual do- links to all of the things I'm citing in that thing. But yes, jeopardize public safety is the actual quote from the FOIA request. We cannot release this data because it would jeopardize public safety. Total nonsense. This is not how science operates. In case we need any, any, any elaboration on this point, the entire point is to release your data so that people can scrutinize it. And as always, I'm going to ask our good friend and video editor Brock West to cut in the footage of Shyam Sunder at the, the, uh, the, the press conference that he gave in 2008 on the release of their final report, NIST's final report on WTC7's collapse after seven years of study. Here it is, folks. We figured it out. And look, this computer model that we have explains it all. And he shows this ridiculous animation, computer graphic, of the beginning of a collapse of WTC7 that doesn't even look like the collapse of WTC7, and then it stops halfway down. It's just nonsense. And it's made even more ludicrous by the fact that there's no data behind it. It is literally just an illustration that they're showing you. Look, look at this computer graphic that we made. It shows exactly how W... No, it shows nothing because you didn't release the data. Contrast that to the Leroy Holsey team at uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks, who just released their draft report of their investigation, along with all the data, along with a two-month period for public comment so that anyone who has any information or could verify or, or disprove any of the details can submit their comments. That's how science works. So why are they not showing us the WTC7 data? Because they don't have anything to back it up. They know it's full of holes. They know that their report is Swiss cheese, and they know that it cannot bear interrogation. And in those situations, the powers that shouldn't be usually resort to sort of visual aids, and they'll show you the vial of yellow cake, which we've been talking about recently. Or we have Netanyahu. Look, I have a picture of a bomb. That's that's the proof. So, James, this might get really kind of interesting. Again, this information might be used to develop to destroy other buildings. And if we speculate that, again, the powers that shouldn't be are the ones behind this, that, again, they're telling the truth. You guys, if we tell you how we do this, then, then you're going to know how we pulled off 9-11. Or maybe, again, it's sort of like Borat actually describing themselves at the big ADL conference, James. It writes itself, pretty much. Let's move to our second story on this New World Next Week episode. Another really interesting one, James. I think these last couple of months of New World Next Week episodes have really hit, I think, some of the just kind of core bits that we've been describing for for a long time. Now over a decade here at New World Next Week. Greeks set to face heavy fines if they don't spend 30% of their income electronically. This coming from the age out of Australia. Greeks will be hit with a hefty fine if they don't spend almost a third of their income electronically in an unprecedented bid by the new government to stamp... Why are they doing this? (gasps) 
Ah, taxes. They're doing it to stamp out rampant tax evasion. The government expects to raise more than 500 million euros, that's 808 million fiat U.S. dollars every year from the initiative that will force Greeks to spend 30% of their income electronically, Alex Patelis, Prime Minister's chief economic guy, said. Individuals that fail to meet the target will be hit with a 22% fine in the shortfall. Therefore, if an individual spends just 20% of their income through electronic means, they would face a 22% tax on the remaining 10% barring some exclusions. Of course, there's always great exclusions. The scheme is a radical attempt to cast some light on Greece's huge shadow economy, which is to say, the real world economy, whether that's mowing lawns or babysitting or maybe sharing and exchanging plants. The world's largest shadow economy, they say. It's part of the new Prime Minister Kirikos Mitsotakis sweeping overhaul to revive growth. The big initiative next year that'll either raise more revenue because people will pay the penalty or, more likely, because of the higher VAT receipts, value-added tax, Mr. Patelis told The Telegraph. Tax avoidance has been labeled a Greek national sport, and it was estimated in 2016 to cost the country's coffers up to $16 billion every year, largely through fraud on VAT or income tax. However, Mr. Mitsotaka's government is cutting the tax burden of workers and businesses in an attempt to shock the Greek economy back into life, because the government's central role is to, of course, manipulate and control economics, right, James? Right, yes. No, exactly. And think about the the number of levels on which this idea is working. I mean, one of which is that when did the government get, get the right to mandate that you have to spend a certain amount of your income. Think about that. They are saying if you don't spend at least 30% of your income, then you're going to be taxed on that uh, that part that you didn't spend. Well, uh, sorry, is, is the government now mandating that I have to spend part of my income? Like, uh, th- this is just nonsense. And it's nonsense on top of nonsense because think also, as they say in the article, yeah, most Greeks are, are working uh, for, through cash payment anyway, so uh, they're just going to declare less so that they don't so that their threshold is lower right i mean they're not going to declare all their income as if they do already anyway so it's not even going to solve the problem that they say this is going to solve i mean really at base what what is this about why are they so eager to mandate and enforce and try to get people onto the electronic cashless payment grid Oh, I think it's because, precisely, because it is the government's way to window and monitor onto every transaction. They're the third person riding riding along in that car on every transaction that you ever do, looking over your shoulder and making sure you're crossing your I's and dotting your T's and did you fall dotting your I's and crossing your T's and did you uh, did you declare this particular thing on your tax turn? Uh, just, uh, it's just aggravating to say the least. But unfortunately, I wish this was only Greek ludicrousy, but of course it is not. It is worldwide. As I talked about in my podcast episode on India, demonetization and you. Do you remember that? Back when they had that demonetization a couple of years ago in India because, oh, the black money in India. We can't see. We don't. So many people have undeclared money. We're going to suddenly make these these particular currency notes uh, obsolete and you're going to have to replace them. So you're going to have to bring in your money and the government will see what you have. Uh, part of that scheme, as I pointed out at the time, was Bill Gates was all behind that scheme. Why? Because now electronic payments is taking off in India. That was one of the the, the whole points of that that entire um, scheme. And this story just resonates for me here in Japan because just yesterday I was here in a convenience store and saw the sign on the wall. They've just uh, upped the uh, the consumption tax here to ten percent, but. 
for the next six months, if you pay with electronic payment, you get 2% off. So you, the tax, so you, you know, so it's not, they're not taxing you for not using electronic cash, but they are, they are saying that, uh, they, you know, it's a rebate thing. But uh, again, country after country, government after government, lusts after the ability to literally see every transa- transaction you make in real time and knowing exactly what you spend on what, where, when, how. Cash is the ultimate boogeyman for the would-be controllers of the world. So keep that in mind. Think about the importance of that and maybe think about, mm, if it's possible, perhaps I should transact more in cash. Maybe I should actually use this so that it, we don't lose it, essentially. I I definitely use the cash that Media Monarchy members and supporters send into my post office box. I of course I turn around and use those in other shadow economy based activities, James. You know, we've talked a bunch even recently, of course, about how most favored nation is you know, they've talked everybody into oh, we're super into paying with my face now. We just had to slowly get people into the idea. It's the carrot and stick thing. Sometimes they'll beat you with the stick and maybe feed you with the carrot. James, you really uh, set me up there, though, for a couple of relateds to this. Not directly related, but I think just, you know, related to the the larger scheme that we've been trying to describe for, for a while. The plan to turn your car into a virtual ATM, a former derivatives trader, so you know you're already in fantastic shape here. A former derivatives trader who spent 14 months as finance chief at Toyota's Innovation Hub launched a nonprofit that aims to turn cars into rolling wallets able to autonomously make and receive payments in a virtual currency. Drivers would earn small sums for sharing data on everything from traffic congestion to weather and be debited for infrastructure use and contribution to pollution. The plan to turn your car into a virtual ATM comes from Silicon Valley. And James, another one I think that kind of relates to the new car world order we've talked about here. BMW adding Android Auto to its infotainment system. So they're openly referring to now even your cars essentially as it's an ATM. It's a vending machine as they've wanted to turn your fondle slabs into for a long time. James, any any last thoughts on that before we move on? No, but I think you're right. It does add up to a bigger picture that we've been describing for over a decade here. And uh, I think everyone can see it coming. It's just a question of whether people are going to buy into it, literally. Well, and did I and did I already make this analogy when we were talking about thumbprinting to, you know, to get onto the stream, streaming services? As a former smoker, I remember there was always this point where it was like, oh, once cigarettes get to five dollars, so that's I'm I'm out of it. But it's that's not the thing that usually makes people's decision. They have to come to a kind of a greater personal decision about their life, not just go, oh, five bucks, I'm not gonna do it. People will continue to do it, and people will thumbprint to get those streaming services to go. So, James, uh, having said all of that, this is New World X Week, episode 395. This is our penultimate episode of 2019, and now our final regular segment for 2019. Two pigs engineered with monkey cells born, died in China. This coming from New Scientist, and actually tweeted at us by Awesome Media Monarchy member and New World Next Week fan, Portland Liam. Good guy. Got to meet him, actually, before I headed over secretively to visit you, James. Pig primate chimeras have been born live for the first time, but died within a week. The two piglets, created by a team in, of course, China, look normal, although a small proportion of their cells were derived from Sinomolgus monkeys. 
This is the first report of full-term pig monkey chimera said Tanghai at the State Key Laboratory of Stem Cell and Reproductive Biology in Beijing. The ultimate aim of the work is to grow human organs and animals for transplantation, but the results show still a long way to go to achieve this, the team says. It is unclear why the piglets died, but because the non-chimeric pigs died as well, the team suspects it is to do with the IVF process rather than the chimerism. So I really, again, this is a... It's all just kind of right in the stories, James. You know, they say these, it's like, oh, no, it's not that we're trying to play God and manipulate with things. It's like, oh, it's just that my tubes were dirty or I messed up some little fundamental, you know, piece of this. And as we've talked about recently, and as I've talked about recently on my morning show, which relates, China gene-edited baby experiment may have created unintended mutations. And for the hat trick, most favored nation raises ethical concern by recreating faces using DNA samples. James, all of this and very much more going on right now apace in most favored nation. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that uh, gene-edited baby story is a follow-up to the one that we covered here on the program several months ago. That uh, I, I People should look at the follow-up because the data has finally been released of this experiment. And it turns out this guy had no idea what he was doing. He was just playing around and there was no safeguards of any sort. And it was all just total uh, lunacy. And the, why do I have the feeling that the first publicly announced pig, monkey, human, mosquito, fish, monstrosity hybrid is going to come out of China, the way things are going. And I say publicly announced because we know DARPA already has several hundred in their basement or something, I'm sure. But but anyway, it's just total nightmare vision of the future. Right now, it is happening. They are working on this, feverishly trying to create these things. And why? Oh, it's for transplantation, so that we can get something that we can transplant into humans. You know, once you've had your car accident and you need a new spleen. Well, here's one from a pig monkey. <laughs> It'll do just as good. I don't know. I don't know what to even say about this anymore, other than I think everyone is horrified by this deep down, but uh, but what are you going to do? It's going on in China, and there's not much we can do about it, right? So here it comes, guys. Get ready for the 21st century. And this might be another one of those situations, much like the fangsters are playing right now. Oh, please don't throw us into the briar patch. You guys really messed up this research, so now let's all get involved together and march forward together into the brave new world order. So who knows what's going to really shake out of all of this, James. That is the icing on top of 2019, which leads us to the end of this episode where, of course, I want to remind folks, I do my own radio thing. I stream news, music, memes, and more Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, via my own website. I think it's pretty fantastic. I'm trying to, essentially, James, you know, I, we've talked about this. I like trying to recapture that feeling of how I like to listen to radio as I was a kid. There was a real human in that booth playing music, giving news and information, and I'm trying to do that with that feel, but of course, with the ability to talk to the, the entire world and make it, make it fun, make it informative, make it fear-free and ad-free. So that's the one thing I always like to remind folks. But to basically set us up for next week, it is our big year-end episode that we call New World Next Year. It will be New, Year, New World Next Year 2020. And basically, the, the the theme that we've settled into some point over the last decade, James, you and I basically pick our story of the past year and we pick our trend of the coming year. And the big catch is, of course, 
we dress up and wear ties and we don't know what the other is going to talk about. It is the one essentially unscripted episode of New World Next Week. And I always look forward to it, James. I think this is one of those years where I got it. I know exactly what I'm going to talk about for both this year and the coming year. How about you? I have my inclinations, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, yeah, get your tie ready or uh, get your wife to get your tie ready and we will be ready next week. And I hope people are ready. It's, I think, a very interesting, yeah, very interesting episode it's going to be because this is a particularly cr crucial juncture. So I'm not as confident as you about exactly what I'm going to talk about. There's so much to talk about, but I'll, I'll get my thinking cap on. All right, buddy. So we'll wrap this episode up. Episode 395 of New World next week. Talk to you next week. All right, buddy. Take care.